0: Hi, we are excited to bring you this video series, and we believe that you will agree with us that the findings from our studies are overwhelming, and at the very least calls for attention from all prophecy students. As we all continue to grow in our understanding of the Scriptures, it is our prayer that we always keep an open heart to the Spirit as He tweaks our understanding along the way. This video series will cover multiple topics in Bible prophecy. There is no shortage of theories as it relates to end time prophecy, and many are in contradiction with one another. We hope that we can offer some clarity and new perspective on such things, as well as offer some new insight to bring to the table. At the very least, we expect to prompt some new and interesting discussion and thinking on these matters. Obviously, we do not claim to have everything figured out, and we are definitely open to adjusting and tweaking from other perspectives. We simply want to maintain an environment of testing everything, even the topic of end times. So, get a notebook, grab a pen, and by all means, open your Bible as we study the Word. First topic is the feast days of the Lord. We believe to understand the advent of our Savior that we must understand the feast days as given to us in the Torah. The feasts of the Lord are prophetic rehearsals of the first and second coming of Christ. There are a total of seven feasts ordained by the Lord. The church as a whole does not celebrate these days. Many reasons have been given by the church as to why it does not observe these days, but we'll save that for another video. The spring feasts are Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost. The fall feasts are Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. Leviticus 23.2 says, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. They were given to all twelve tribes of Israel and those who left Egypt with them. The scriptures tell us that they are always to be observed. Always. Zechariah tells us that tabernacles is even observed in the millennium. Zechariah 14:16 through 17 Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year, to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 4 of Leviticus explains how these feast days are to be observed at their appointed times. The Hebrew word for appointed times is Moed. Verse 4 says, These are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. Appointed times Moed, the singular of Moedim, used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. Seasons, Moedim We have to ask ourselves, do we really need the sun, moon, And the stars to tell us what season we are in? Doesn't winter, spring, summer, and fall speak for themselves? Or do we need the sun, moon, and the stars to inform us of when the leaves are falling from the trees? Doesn't it make more sense that these are to be used in referring to the Lord's appointed feasts, as mentioned in Leviticus 23? In verse 5, it informs us of Passover. To understand how this works, we must remember that the Hebraic days start and end at sundown. The Passover lamb sacrifice falls on the 14th of the first Hebraic month, around 3 pm. This is followed by the Passover meal a few hours later at sundown, in memory of the tenth plague that befell Egypt and setting God's people free. What is traditionally called the Passover meal is the same as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This would be on the 15th. It was when a lamb was to be eaten in every house with its blood placed on the frame of the door, so that the death angel would pass over that house. Verse 6 informs us of the week of Unleavened Bread. This is to be a seven day period that always begins the day after The Passover lamb is slain on the 14th. The first and last day of this feast is to be considered a Sabbath day. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is when the Passover lamb is to be eaten, along with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. In fact, all seven days one is to eat food without leaven, and in fact, one is to remove all the leaven products from their house. Verse 10. Gives us first fruits. This feast day takes place on the first day after the weekly Sabbath of unleavened bread. First fruits is the day when the Hebrews crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. This is the day when the first of the harvest is waved before and offered up to the Lord. Verse 15 gives us Pentecost. This is the day when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the commandments. It is the same day in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit put them in our hearts. We are instructed to count off seven Sabbaths beginning from first fruits, totaling 49 days. On the 50th day is Pentecost. It's actually a type of Jubilee. In verse 23 through 25 of Leviticus, we find the Feast of Trumpets. This is a one-day feast that falls on the first day of the seventh month. This is the only feast that falls on the first day of a month, a new moon. It is to be considered a sabbath day and is commemorated with trumpet blasts. Now it is also called Rosh Hashanah. This simply means head of the year. This is a rabbinical term and actually not found in scripture. Beginning in verse 26 we find the day of atonement. This is also considered a sabbath day and a day of fasting. This is the day when atonement is made for all the people before the Lord. This takes place on the tenth day of the seventh month. Lastly, beginning in verse 33, we have tabernacles. This begins on the fifteenth day of the seventh month and lasts seven days. The first day is to be considered a Sabbath day. The eighth day, after the seven, is to be for a closing assembly and to be considered a sabbath day as well. During the seven days, the people are to rejoice and celebrate while living in booths, to remember that the Israelites lived in booths after they were freed from Egypt. The eighth day is representative of the new beginnings in eternity after the millennium, which represents the seventh day sabbath, the day of the Lord. It must be noted that these are not Jewish feasts. These are God's feasts. We must understand that it is God's calendar that dictates, not ours. His calendar is the only one that truly counts. It should be noted that there are doctrinal variances to determine the exact days of the calendar of Leviticus 23. We encourage everyone to do their own due diligence in studying out the Father's calendar according to the Scriptures. As mentioned, These are the feast days of the Lord. Many may be wondering why we took the time to briefly go over these. Simply stated, as mentioned before, the feast days are a rehearsal for the first and second coming of Christ. If one wants to truly understand the advents of Christ, then they must have at least a basic understanding of the feast days. We must not forget that Christ fulfilled Passover on the exact day of Passover, the anniversary of the Passover in Egypt. He died when the Passover lamb was slain about 3 p.m. on the 14th day of the Hebraic month. He was laid in the grave the exact same night when the Feast of Unleavened Bread began. That was when the sun went down and the 14th day closed and entered into the 15th. This was and is the anniversary of when the Hebrews left Egypt. He rose from the grave on the exact day of first fruits, as soon as the harvest was to be waved, and the anniversary of when they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And finally, He fulfilled Pentecost on the exact day of Pentecost, Shavuot. He put the law in our hearts on the anniversary of when Moses brought the law from Mount Sinai doesn't it only make sense that he will follow suit in the same pattern at his second coming? His first coming was to establish his priesthood, the humble servant who came to serve. But now, at his second coming, he comes as conquering king to set up his government. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will establish his throne in Jerusalem where he will reign for a thousand years. Priest at his first coming, king at His second coming. This day is called the Feast of Trumpets. No wonder Paul wrote in First Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And in First 1 Corinthians 15.52, In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Right now many are saying, but we can't know the day of His coming. Even Jesus Himself said, no man knows that day or hour. To which we agree, He did say that. So let us address these statements as they are and see what we come up with. First, we have Matthew 24, 35-36 where it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. If we look at the context here, we see that the day and hour referred to here is when heaven and earth pass away, which only makes sense as there are several events given after the millennium that have no time frames allocated to them. They are the number one, season that Satan is loosed, number two, the final battle where fire comes down from heaven and destroys the enemy, and number three, the great white throne judgment. It is after these events that have no time designated to them that the new heaven and earth appear. Thus, the context in verse 35, the day, is referring back to the day of heaven and earth passing away. Many are then quick to refer to verse 42, therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. This is just after Yeshua parallels His coming with the flood of Noah. The people who did not know the timing of the flood were taken away, while those who did were protected. Verse 42 is where Yeshua is telling His disciples to be on the alert. Why? Because they did not know, present tense, when the Lord was returning. Let's now look at the following verses to show how He explains the previous statement. Matthew 24 verse 43. But understand this if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. If you notice, he doesn't say that the owner would have known the time because he watched, but rather, that he would have watched, because he knew the time. So if we follow the Lord's command to be alert and watch, that means we'll already know the day of his return, just as the homeowner would have, just not the hour. Let's look at it again, Matthew 24, 43. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Again, he doesn't say that the owner would have known the time because he watched, but rather that he would have watched because he knew the time. So, if we follow the Lord's command to be alert and watch, That means we'll already know the day of His return, just not the hour. If someone is coming to visit your house on Friday, you don't start looking for them on Wednesday, do you? Of course not. You start looking for them on Friday, around the time they said they would come. The same principle applies here. This makes all the more sense as we compare other verses that talk about knowing the timing of his return. Compare the following: First Thessalonians 5:1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But in whose perspective does he come like a thief in the night? To the believer or the unbeliever? To answer that question. Let's read verse 4. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Compare also in Revelation chapter 3, where Yeshua is talking to the church of Sardis. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you." These two witnesses clearly show that Yeshua will come like a thief only to those who are not following Him. Those who are following Him will know when to start looking for Him. If you are walking in the light and observing His feasts according to the Moadim, times and seasons, set in place from the beginning, then you will know when the Messiah will come. As mentioned earlier. Christ fulfilled Passover on the exact day of Passover, the anniversary of the Passover in Egypt. He was laid in the grave the exact same night when the Feast of Unleavened Bread began, the anniversary of when the Hebrews left Egypt. He rose from the grave on the exact day of first fruits, the anniversary of when they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And finally, He fulfilled Pentecost on the exact day of Pentecost, Shavuot, the anniversary of Moses bringing the law from Sinai. All of these fulfillments were in conjunction with his first coming. Doesn't it only make sense that his second coming will likewise parallel the fulfillments to the day of the fall feasts? We will not be in the dark to knowing when he returns. And, as a result, we will be watching. The Lord cannot come today or tomorrow. He will only come when He has prophesied to come. At the appointed time, the Feast of Trumpets. Compare. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound The dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now knowing this, consider what happens in the last trumpet of Revelation. When the seventh trumpet blows, the last trumpet, the kingdom of the Lord comes to earth. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. And now, at this time, at the last trumpet, our Lord establishes His great power and reign on earth. Verse 17, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And then, when He returns, the wrath begins to destroy those who destroy the earth. It is also when we receive our rewards and judgment, whether we are to be the least or the greatest in the kingdom. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. What a day to look forward to, the day of the Lord, the last day, a thousand year day that represents the Sabbath rest. As mentioned in the beginning of this teaching, the feasts of the Lord are prophetic rehearsals of the first and second coming of Christ. Now that the foundation of understanding the end times are established, we will begin digging deeper in the next teaching. We hope you have enjoyed this first teaching of this series. Remember to always continue and test everything. Shalom.